to you laughing at the British Comedy Guide podcast bringing you all the news, reviews and in my case rhyming Jews that make up the world of British comedy. I'm Dave Cohen. We're coming today from the offices of the Writers Guild of Great Britain, conveniently situated next door to Rosebury Avenue Fire Station. So if it all kicks off in mid-conversation we'll just pretend we're on the set of Sirens. Joining me today, a What Are You Laughing At podcast regular. He's written for Miranda, Milton Jones, so clearly the go-to guy for comedians beginning with M.I. Let's hope no one's planning a Mike and Bernie Winters revival. Please welcome the self-styled sitcom geek, James Carey. Hello. Oh, M.I. is good. Maybe Michael McIntyre would ask me to write oh. a sitcom for him, which I would very happily do, by the way. Yes, well, well there's, there's a combination. Well, it, it, it's got to be, really, hasn't it? It's in the stars. Yes, please. My bank manager hopes so. <laughs> yeah. Our special guest is a comedy writer and performer, which doesn't begin to describe just how brilliant he is at both. He is the writer and one quarter of the excellent cast that make up Radio 4's near-perfect sitcom Cabin Pressure, which has just returned for a third series. Hooray! Hello, John Finnamore. Hello, and hooray to you. (laughs) Hooray to you too, that's nice. That's three hoorays in one go. As ever, towering among us, watching over proceedings like an all-hearing, all-seeing, omnipotent nightclub bouncer, the stone-carved Mount Rushmore face of the British Comedy Guide, it's Aaron Brown. Hello. What an intro. Wow. (laughs) What an intro. I like to big Aaron up, you know, because he is the boss after all. He is. He pays our wages if there were any. Yes. (laughs) First, the news, read by Charlotte Green. I've always wanted to say that. (laughs) Now, it's first news is actually more bad news for students, first tuition fees, and now Campus has been axed by Channel 4. Promising first series, not enough to persuade Channel 4 to stick with it. Any thoughts about Campus, guys? I, I quite enjoyed it. I, it obviously had, a, it had its problems, but I thought it showed uh, more than enough potential to give it a go for a second run, more potential than other series have shown in the past that have been given second series and gone on to become great things so uh, disappointment I think yeah I mean is that... I didn't I didn't go for it um, but that's because I, I didn't like Green Wing either which I'm happy to you know apparently that's a very good show but um, watching Green Wing always used to remind me it felt like it was going to start any minute it just felt like a trailer for itself and then it would end after an hour and uh, so I, I just don't get I don't get it so I tried campus and I just thought oh, this isn't for me so uh, I have no strong feelings either way. I thought Green Wing had some pretty strong narratives running through it, especially as, as it went on. Yeah, as it went on, maybe. I, I, I abandoned it too soon, probably. Possibly, yeah. Any, any thoughts do you see, Campus? It wasn't one of my favourites, but I did think that... Uh, yeah, I did think Andy Nyman was excellent. I hope he gets to do more stuff despite this. Yeah. Was he playing the Vice-Chancellor? Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. struck me as being David Brent. Well, I didn't much like the character. I thought... you. If you have someone who's so psychotic, then it stops being interesting. It's a bit like when occasionally Alan Partridge tips into just being, you know, a disturbed man rather yeah. than a hilariously antisocial man. And at that point, it stops. When he was doing the puppets for the tax people, I started thinking, oh, well, this now is, you know, this is someone who needs help. <laughs> mostly, yeah. you know, it's terrific. And I think he's gone right back to, it's right back to what he's best at in these latest uh, right. web episodes. Uh, it's, it's perfect. It's the... Uh, but yeah, whenever it was the same, even with um, you know Basil Fawlty, I always think Germans is a wonderful episode. But my least favorite part of that episode is the famous 
uh, you know, being awful to the German scene because at that point he's been hit on the head, he's gone mad. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's, it's a cheat, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So I felt that a bit with the character that Andy Nyman played, but I did think, wow, he's a very funny actor. There is a thin line between comedy and mental illness, isn't there? That's... Yeah, and it stops being funny when you cross it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As anyone who's been to a night of new stand ups will uh, testify. Yes. <laughs> or old stand ups, let's say. Sometimes you watch a new stand-up and you think, is this person a genius or is he psychotic? Mm. Uh, discuss. Yes, that one. <laughs> yes, yes. I think John Ronson's just written a book on that, hasn't he, about, psycho- oh, yeah. about yes, psychopathic behaviour yeah. or psychotic yeah. behaviour. Yeah. Generally, do we find that channels are being less forgiving now after one series? Are they being less forgiving after every point, I would say? You know, at the Nought series and at two? Well, it's hard to say because it's interesting... Last on the last podcast, talking to when you were talking to Simon Godley, he, he reeled off half a dozen sitcoms that I simply do not remember, many of which were cancelled after one series. And so I was actually at that point thinking, wow, it was pretty brutal, you know, ten years ago yeah. as well. And we've sort of forgotten how brutal it was. It may be that ten years ago they were prepared to try new, more new shows. You're right. It's easy to think. Oh, they gave they gave uh, only bulls and horses a second chance. They gave everything a second chance. But of course, by definition, you don't hear about the ones you don't. And when you look at the British Comedy Guide site of uh, just the list of all the sitcoms there have been, it's astonishing the number that even people who are really into their comedy just have heard. Of. Yes, it's a graveyard. It's a graveyard. <laughs> Frightening, I think, is the word I'd use. Moving on, we're talking still about uh, sitcom. Uh, the first ever online sitcom, uh, a Nigerian British comedy uh, called Meet the Adabanjos, uh, financed by a city broker. That's uh, that's gone online this week, hasn't it? It cost one hundred and seventy-five thousand pounds to make. That's for six half-hour episodes. I think it's like eight episodes. Is it eight episodes? Oh, blimey! Because that's that's kind of the cheap end of one half-hour episode of a yeah. TV sitcom. So that's. Pretty amazing that they did that. Um, it's often unfortunate that the people who come up with the idea for creating a new business model are necessarily the people you want to make the show. I've not seen it. it I wasn't terribly excited about seeing it, so without having seen it, I couldn't say. But it also struck me there's no real prospect of making that money back unless the show is absolutely transcendently excellent because it has to be better than everything on television to make the money back well I, I, I disagree with you there. I think I mean first I think it's genuinely the case where it's possible to say this show is not aimed at you yes it's not aimed at me <laughs> yeah. uh, it's aimed at a very very uh, specific audience and I mean the, the audience for, for black comedy is out there and it's not just black people but it's uh, there are uh, I don't know if anyone's ever been to a, a black stand up show I mean they are quite phenomenal really and I'm sure that there is a big audience in in Britain, but more to the point, I, I suspect that there's a, a huge audience all around the world for it because mm. Nigerians live it everywhere as well as yeah, Nigeria. There's, uh, there's apparently already been a lot of interest from South African and Caribbean television networks yeah. to buy and uh, broadcast the show on their channels, so it, it could very well get back its money. I hope um, so. I, I'm really excited about alternative ways of doing it. If it isn't, is it a Nigerian-based show? It's a Nigerian-British family. Because the, the, the Nigerian yeah. movie market is in itself an interesting thing because they mm. sell a lot of things on video there. There's a huge video market in Nigeria um, and the whole Nollywood thing. So mm. I think people are used to paying for content on a show-by-show basis. Mm. So it may well work. I really hope it does. It just it, 
you're right to say it, it, it wasn't made for me. So I mean, I'll, I'll try and have a look. But mm. I think it's uh, it does feel more. I just watched a couple of two-minute clips online. It felt slightly more Crouches than Desmond's to me. In other mm. words, that something like Desmond's, which has a, a massive appeal beyond its yeah. core audience. Whereas, well, Trix mm. Worrell, um, famously, well, perhaps maybe not that famously, commented that uh, it, I didn't make Desmond's for black people. We know what we're like. I made Desmond's for white people. Mm. That's so, a great phrase. Yeah. Uh, I like that. And I, I don't think... I, well... Uh, perhaps I'm a little premature in saying this, uh, having not actually watched any yet, but uh, I get the impression from what I've read that Meet Yellow Banjos wasn't particularly made for anyone. It was made because they had the idea that they wanted to make a sitcom and because they wanted to try out this particular business idea. Okay, let's move on then to uh, we're going to talk about the uh, new shows that are starting up uh, over the next fortnight, new comedy shows. That's it. Um, there aren't any, um, which is a shame, really. Well, there's a, there's a play by the Penny Dreadfuls on Radio 4. There's a sitcom returning on Radio Wales. Um, that's about no it. new panel game starting this week. <laughs> <I know. laughs> that's unusual. Yes. yes, I know. It's amazing, <clears throat> isn't it? There's or at like... least an interview-based show. Surely a, yeah. a comedian interviewing another comedian. Yeah, and no new stand-up shows, although I, I understand that Aaron has just hot-footed it here today from the launch of ITV's new reality show for stand-up comedians show me the funny yes hosted by uh, jason manford with judges alan davies and kate copstick wonderful um, kate copstick very good starts uh, on monday the 18th on itv1 uh, not supposed to say much about it quite yet but uh, it'll certainly be an interesting one to watch it's a bunch of comedians, isn't it, who live together, Big Brother style, and they go out and they Something do they they not, not do a tour. They're going around the country, performing to various um, select groups of uh, audience, and uh, each week the weakest performer is eliminated by the two resident judges and a guest judge. There's a uh, live final from the Hammersmith Apollo on the 25th of August and the winner of that gets a stand-up tour across the UK, a DVD out in time for Christmas and some £1,000 cash prize. That'll be good. I'm sure a lot of stand-up performers will be delighted to see the crash and burn that's (laughs) subjected upon a couple of the performers each week. Well, it's, it, it looks similar to me to the American show uh, Last Comic Standing, which, in fact, Gina Yasheray and uh, Jim Tavare, another British comic, achieved a lot of success in America off the back of appearing on uh, those shows. Matt Kirshen, I think, is another really good. who, who um, did very well on that show. Dan Atkinson, I think, as well. So um, it's, it's certainly it's good for stand-ups and good for their profile. Whether it makes good telly, we shall find out. It's kind of the reverse side of um, something like Live at the Apollo, if you will, because any sign of a gag which has misfired is hacked out in the edit, um, but here it's uh, far more concentrating on that. Uh, It sounds, therein lies the flawed premise, which is, Mm. with comedy, you you cut out the bad bits, you do the good bits. A show that's predicated on comedy not working. This is very much a, a... a reality documentary rather than a comedy series. It'll be the last episode, the the live final, which is uh, the real comedy episode or of the run. I think they, they have to go out and do tasks during the week. 
um, to get to know the the city that they're in and the people uh, and uh, to get inspiration for their material for like five new minutes for each so venue, glad we're so. in a basement because I'm about to jump out the window <laughs> <laughs> well you know it worked for Mark Steele's in town that's a great show yeah. Mark Steele can do it if it was Mark Steele every week I'd watch true you'd, you'd, get, a good, you'd get a good ten minutes material about yeah. all the different uh, towns um, but it isn't Mark is it it does sound like um, a lot of commissioning editors doesn't it have uh, got together and said okay how are we going to do how are we going to do stand up how are we going to do reality TV how are we going to do etc etc all the while as we noticed in the next two weeks there's no new sitcoms no new narrative comedy on anything radio telly you might have something to say about this Jane well no I think we've already said it really I've, I've already uh, expressed despair Although, I uh, don't want to jump the gun, I believe Cameron Pressure has just started on Radio 4, is that yeah. right? Uh, yeah, no. Yes. Yes. Is that everybody quite likes just right, last Friday. Friday? Last Friday, Cameron yeah. Pressure returned. Cameron Pressure, which is brilliant. And everyone quite likes Justin, which the first episode was uh, on. We'll talk about them uh, a bit later. Let's move on now to uh, reviews of shows by British uh, comedy guide uh, writers and uh, critics. There's, again, not a huge amount uh, to comment on. The, the two shows that started since our last podcast were uh, Series 11, the final series of My Family, and Sirens on uh, Channel 4. Now, My Family's uh, broadcasts were overshadowed by anger from fans that the second scheduled episode, A Night Out, was pulled because of Andy Murray playing at Wimbledon. Um, and... I can imagine that uh, shot. That reminds me of the scene in The Young Ones where they're watching the snooker and they uh, they pull away from that as a hostage situation. I remember that actual moment where I'm watching the, the snooker and I remember it being interrupted by a sort of live hostage SAS uh, Iranian embassy siege. And I do remember for an instance thinking, bloody hell, <laughs> he was just about to pot a fantastic pink there. Um, so... Um, Dennis Penis123 says, I just don't think the BBC care anymore. Um, what do you reckon? I think they probably made the right move. Andy Murray or Series 11, My Family? Which, uh, <laughs> what do you think would have happened if they'd said, and now we're going to leave Andy Murray because we've got uh, episode 186 of My Family? I think there was a lot of disappointment that they haven't uh, perhaps moved from My Family to BBC Two or at least um, given a clear announcement of when it would be rescheduled for, um, as it is, uh, the past series ten and eleven have had very bad treatment from the BBC. There's been practically no mention of either from the press office, um, and now this this unbroadcast episode has appeared on iPlayer. So a lot of the fans are really angry and worried, if you will, that it won't actually be broadcast at all, that it will only be... Oh, it will be broadcast. Coverage. It's just too expensive to yeah, not yeah. broadcast. Mm. But if, from a BBC One point of view, are we going to broadcast a live tennis match uh, that could draw up to 10 million people, or are we going to broadcast an episode of My Family, which has never got more than 9 million, and it's yeah. probably near the 4 or 5 million? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, no, four, it's a no-brainer, mm. but it, it's all about communication, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. The BBC have pretty well hung out my family to dry though, haven't they? They've, they've yeah, got, uh, I, I don't think there's much love lost between mm. the two. It's a shame because it, 
doesn't feel that BBC One need to withdraw support from my family. You know, they've said it's going to finish, but you would have thought they would yeah. want a fanfare right till the end. You would have you certainly thought so. But I think it's just I've loved and fallen off fallen off the radar and they want to promote other things. Which is a shame. Mm. They've never really uh, loved my family, have they? I don't think so. I think yeah, it's never it's never been truly cherished. Mm. Um, uh, but I think that's partly a function of the show as well, in terms of it has never quite it's never quite caught fire in the way you know it doesn't have a Del Boy falling through the bar moment that gets played again and again. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, those little hooks make quite a big difference. Mm. You know, even though it's done a very good job for BBC One. Yeah. Shepka loved Friday's episode Labour Pains. He feels that Series 10 was the best since Series 5. Well, it's the one that changed the life. <laughs> yes, that's oh, true. Incidentally, bless you. You're just trying to get in our good books, Shepka. And Series 11 is continuing in the marked improvement of quality. Well, I'm afraid Series 11 is the last series, so that's as far as the improvement will go. Uh, so on to Sirens now. There's been two episodes of that. Uh, not... Adored, not loved really, by the BCG uh, viewers. Most uh, describing it as a misjudged opening episode. Slow and rubbish. A uh, few people enjoyed it. Zoo, that's Z with three O's, Zoo said it got more involving as it went along, uh, but she reckons the show will be something to grow on people. Also, a number of people saying it would have been better and sharper at 30 minutes rather than 65. Broadly negative reaction all round. Okay. Just one thing to add to that was I, I didn't see Sirens, but I was interested the night it went out. I just looked on Twitter to see what people were saying about it, and always least, a mistake. At least three or four people. Well, it is if it's your own show, but it isn't, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> it was interesting to me that a number of people said, "Why are Channel Four promoting this as a comedy when it's obviously a comedy drama?" And it, it was a question of mis-selling again, which I remember some people saying about Friday Night Dinner as well. It, it's, it didn't shout out comedy. No, five minutes. This always reminds me, you know, whenever there's a discussion on comedy drama and how hard it is to do and how it often ends up being neither, just always reminds me of, I think it was Simon Day doing the voice, doing the trailer for Happiness with Paul Whitehouse, uh, the actual trailer that went out and it ended something like, is it a humour? Is it a drama? No, it's a humour drama. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, that just a humour uh, drama is exactly what a lot of these. I've not seen Sirens, or a lot of yeah. or what a lot of these shows end up being. It's not quite funny enough. It's not quite dramatic enough. But it's an hour long. It's an app. It's on. <laughs> but as I say, that may yeah. not apply to Sirens. That's quite right. But Happiness is, is I think that that's a great show to which shows like this should aim. Really, should should be aiming because that really was that was a very dark, dramatic show that had a lot of oh yeah, great it comedy in it. Yeah. And, and I think that they, they kind of approached that the right way. And I, 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 I certainly I think if it's done well, I mean, a, a comedy drama, if they get it right, it becomes a drama, really. It becomes a funny drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and indeed, a lot of the huge shows like Sherlock and even Doctor Who, I'm, you know, are kind of comedy dramas. Mm-hmm. Only people don't talk about, don't call them that mm-hmm. because once it's dramatic enough, the jokes are just part of it. Well, it's, it's about success, isn't it? And I mean, mm. it, it's so a show like Cold Feet, for instance, which, which was massively successful, was very yes. funny and had drama in it. Yeah. In the same way that Only Fools and Horses, people outside of our industry wouldn't necessarily say, oh, that's a comedy show. They'd just say, oh, it's a show that I want to watch. 
because it had mm. it, it did have a lot of dramatic elements in the comedy. One of the funniest shows I think on television I watch at the moment is House. Mm. You know, it's it's a drama, um, it's a medical drama, but it, there's some huge, huge laughs in it because you know mm. the central character is psychotic, and that's always going to be funny in a comedy way. In a comedy <laughs> way, right? Yes. Okay, so that was uh, that was Sirens. That gets a sort of thumbs thumbs sideways to down from the uh, BCG uh, reviewers. Okay, so joining us then, we're very pleased to have John Finnamore, writer and uh, star of Cabin Pressure. Um, for the few of you listening to this who've never heard Cabin Pressure, shame on you, but John, would you like to tell us a bit about the show? Uh, yeah, it's a sitcom set in a, a small airline, a airline with only one uh, plane, a uh, charter airline. It's about two pilots, the steward and the owner of the airline, with um, Benedict Cumberbatch and Roger Allen as the pilots, Stephanie Cole as the owner, and me as her son and the steward. Just it's brilliant. There's just four characters. I mean, there's there's usually guests over one or two guests each week, but the the the, the bulk of the uh, show is set in one in this one place, really, isn't it? What, it seems what? to go the better. The more I set it as the uh, you know as I've written more and more episodes, the more I can set it in the plane, and particularly in the plane in the air, the, the better the episodes seem to turn out. I mean, it's not always the case. I've done a couple where they don't get in the plane at all, but uh, mm-hmm. as a rule of thumb. Uh, the plane seems to be a good place for them. Yeah, right. and um, you this this inspiration for this comes. Uh, your, was it your father who was? Um... Yeah, he was an airline captain. Uh, he's retired now. I so and it just struck me that that he worked for uh, British Airways, so um, was doing long haul flights, and the you know two people basically having to sit in a cupboard together for sixteen hours mm. and make conversation, not having chosen one another, seems like a sort of epitome of sitcom uh, of course on the big airlines you don't tend to fly with the same pilots uh, well often you don't you might not fly with someone again for years in a big airline like VA so uh, hence the coming up with this not you know, genuinely workable idea of, uh, of, an, of a, uh, an airline so small and you had one plane and two pilots what were you thinking of like I want to do a radio sitcom were you thinking of it how it would sound, or were you just thinking, I want to write a sitcom and radio is where I'm doing it all? No, I started with radio. I've always uh, loved radio. I grew up, you know, obviously watching television as well, but, but particularly a lot of my, what really got me into comedy were were radio shows and there's a particular audience that doesn't exist anywhere else. You can do different types of jokes. You, and also, as you as you uh, suggest uh, or imply, naturally, it's, it's, it's where you... It's the most practical place to start. It's where you might get, when you haven't done anything before, it's where you might get something away. But I also did it for its own sake, and I sort of intend to carry on writing for radio no matter what, what happens. And maybe nothing will happen. Mm. Well, uh, I'm sure I'm sure it will. But uh, I mean, we, we know, uh, James, I know, writes uh, a lot for uh, radio sitcom as well. And we know it's possible to get uh, very good top actors they love doing radio because they don't have to learn the script mm. it's half a day's work for them and they get lots of exposure from it um, but um, Benedict Cumberbatch how did you know that he could do comedy um, he'd done broken news I think he'd done oh, yeah. um, uh, he was a regular character in uh, that uh, John Morton news right, satire yeah. he'd also done uh, Start of the Ten in which he's absolutely hilarious he's very the, funny in that yeah it's brilliant yeah. and playing a not dissimilar character Mark, to Martin sort of 
Martin's uh, more confident elder brother, perhaps. Uh, wrongly confident, but still. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we'd seen those, and yeah, he is absolutely superb comic actor. And if he'd, I, I think if he'd wanted to be a comedian, a comedy actor, he would be disgustingly good at that as well. Well, like, he already, yeah, I don't know why I say that. He is. He That's is. what he is. Yes, yes, <laughs> It's interesting. A lot of um, shows that are where the where the writer is one of the performers tend to think of them in uh, very much in terms of like the the, the writer. The, the whole show is sort of based around the writer. We think of the sort of classic sitcoms that are, that are remembered, like sort of Forty Towers or The Office, mm. um, that that kind of shone brilliantly for two episode two series, mm. and then were gone. But uh, it's it's very much a, a strongly narrative sitcom that could run and run for many series I mean how, how do you how do you find that being the writer and, and then turning up on the day with the uh, with the rest of the cast I love it I absolutely love performing and I don't love writing I mean I love having written but I find writing extremely difficult and uh, hard work and not much fun at all so it's a lovely reward to be able to perform it with those amazing actors and you can imagine how terrified I felt on the first day with Roger Allen, associate member of the RSC, Stephanie Cole, veteran actress of you know a hundred fantastic things, Benedict Cumberbatch, new hot young star and me. All of these guys swapping stories of uh, you know their days of the national and, and Chichester and uh, the RSC and, and me. Uh, so it's uh, it's great to be able to do it but it's also quite a good um, discipline when I'm finding it difficult to write to think well you're going to have to stand up on stage when you're going to be there on stage either saying it or watching it being said as this is done so you better make it as good as you can yeah in terms of not being a star I think that was a definite decision and in fact when it started off I thought it was going to be more of a two-hander uh, when I was coming up the show I thought it would be about the captain and the first officer and the it would be more of a father Ted as it were they would be uh, Ted and Dougal and I and Carolyn, who's the owner, would be more like the Mrs. Doyle and um, Father Jack. Not right. the same characters, but that kind <laughs> yes. of that definite two-tier, here are our two stars, here are their two assistants. Mm-hmm. And it's turned out not to be not to be quite like that, although I'd still say I'm the Arthur is the fourth member of the cast, but it's uh, it's more evenly spread than mm-hmm. I intended. Maybe that's just my ego. It's it's interesting though, know, it's a it's a it's an audience sitcom and it's very funny and it's great and uh, there's an, another audience sitcom as we say started this week uh, Justin Morehouse's uh, show everybody quite likes Justin um, there's, there's something about I mean audience sitcom continues to be successful on the radio um, and yet we're not seeing so much audience sitcom on TV obviously it's a lot more expensive to make but both of you really do you, do you think that um, audience sitcom that, that, it, that radio is kind of almost its true home? I think that may be true, um, in one sense, because the radio has the heritage going back. But I think you know, millions and millions of British people are unaware of comedy on the radio because they simply don't. It is almost exclusively on Radio 4. And if you don't listen to Radio 4, which I'd imagine 30 to 40 million British people don't, um, at least, then you wouldn't know about it. Um, but I think audience... You were talking about it last time, about the death of the audience sitcom, and it just struck me that, you know, Miranda did really well. Um, that's an audience show, unashamedly so, and the IT crowd. Um, and even a relatively unloved show like uh, Mrs Brown's Boys, which is a very audience show, it is not to my taste as a show, 
but it's done extremely well. So I think the audience, and because of the, of the Americans' uh, shows, imported shows, we're used to the format, we're used to the idea, and we're, we're willing to suspend our disbelief um, as an audience. So I think if the show is right for it, you know, I, I don't think it's a format problem at all. I just think it's a, a mixture of, of talent, right place, right time, investment, willingness to make it work. Um, I mean, ITV could have three decent sitcoms if they wanted to. They just have to pay enough money to get the talent and to pay for the, enough failure to get success out of it. Mm. Something that makes audience sitcoms work particularly well on radio, though, is that um, you can just you can present the whole thing like a play. You just because obviously you don't need any sets. You don't need any. Or, or, if uh, possibly listeners haven't seen any audience show on TV recorded, what happens is you sit in a studio with three or four sets built in the studio and then they record say maybe three scenes maybe four over the course of the three hour recording period and they play in the scenes that they've already recorded on location sorry if you knew all that and that was patronizing but it's a very different experience for an audience member although it's still exciting and fun but it's very different from going to see a radio audience show recorded where you simply go in and the guy the actors come up to the mic and perform the whole thing in order pretty much once only with a few retakes at the end. So that does give it a particular swing, I think. The audience get properly caught up in a story the way they it's harder for them to do on TV, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I was curious to see, it's it's on at, um, your show's on at 11.30, isn't it, on uh, mm-hmm. Friday morning? So did, did it start as a, was it a 6.30 show? No, it's always it's started always at 11.30 and it's always been... Well, the first two series have been repeated at 6.30, so um, fingers crossed this one will be as well. Right, OK. Because I, I, I understand there is... A, and I, I spoke to Jane Bertou fairly recently for a Writer's Guild podcast. She mentioned the idea that maybe the 6.30 slot might be harder to, to maintain for a narrative sitcom. I mean, do you think it's... Do you think that's true? It's one of those weird things whereby, you know, I've been doing Radio 4 comedy for about 10 years, and it... It, it was that the 6.30 slot was the one that you wanted and the one you wanted to get your sitcom in um, because you thought, people I know have a fighting chance of hearing it. Yeah. But Radio 4 simply don't see it that way and they genuinely think that 11.30 in the morning is the best time to put narrative comedy, um, which surprises me, but they know their audience probably better than I do. I love it when the stuff... So Hut 33 went out at um, 11.30 in the morning. You know, my heart sank... Uh, at that, but Radio 4, I think, would be surprised by my reaction to that. And then when they repeated at 6.30, I'd be cheerful. Um, the overall thing I think you're hinting at is that at 6.30, people are doing something else and therefore can't really be expected to listen to a narrative comedy. Which I is just a- think that's true of radio at all times. Certainly my experience, as I say, I always have Radio 4 on, and I certainly, you know, I'm generally doing something else. I mean, I'm, who sits down to... You know, like in those pictures of, of families in the 40s actually sitting around the radio looking at the it. The wireless. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, but, I mean, A, half the audience are in the car anyway and listening yeah. to it. Mm. But B, if you start thinking, well, we, we, we need to make a show that's designed for people who are sort of only half listening, mm. oh, you, you might as well that. give up. Um, it's like, you know, trying to do a sitcom where it's, well, let's just, just you know, on the television, let's assume that people didn't see the first half, you think. Yeah. Wow, I mean, you're really not going to get very far with that. And I don't think that particularly chimes with an audience's experience. No, I think you have to write for the ideal listener, the actual the listener who actually is sitting, watching his 
or her uh, <laughs> wireless with a notebook. <laughs> well, that's uh, how I, be that's how I listen to the radio. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to aim for that. But I think you've got to aim for someone who's... who's oh, don't thump the table with emphasis when you're being recorded on a sensitive mic. It's all right. <laughs> it's showing that you're feeling passionate, John. That's the important thing. I, I sat in a car and waited. I remember a particular episode of Ed Reed and a couple of years ago where I had to be come back in the house, but I, I couldn't oh, yeah. tear myself away yeah, sitting too. in the car because I just had to listen to the end of it's it. It's great when that happens as well, mm. when there's something yeah. where you... yeah. You, you, you're that's, just that's, doing it. I mean, with plays yeah. in particular, because the afternoon play, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, and you're doing the washing up with it, and half the time, you're quite happy when you finish washing up to turn the radio off, and then every so often, you have to go and sit down and listen yeah, to the end of the play, right. and it's great when yeah. that happens. Yeah. Uh, Jim Broadbent described it. He, t- he described listening to it. I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. Is that he's a, he, he, he will stay in a freezing cold bath <laughs> uh, to, while listening to it in the same way that he... He'll, if he's just got in the bath, he'll jump out and turn the radio off if quote-unquote comes on. And without mental image listeners of Jim Broadbent yes. leaping out of a cold bath, we move on. The joy of radio. <laughs> Pictures are better on radio. <laughs> Not that or, or worse, the naked Jim Broadbent. Yeah. Now, I'd just like to talk to you a little bit about um, the actual the, the process of writing. You, yep. say, you say you hate writing, and yeah. I, I, I kind of know what you mean. I think any... Any writer and performer who um, just want, you just want to get out there and perform it, knowing that you have to rewrite is a right pain, isn't it? Um, the rewriting is not as bad as the writing for me. It's the first draft that's the worst. The rewriting, at least I've got something to work with, and I can go, well, this is terrible, but I can make it kind of almost passable. Yeah. And then, well, this is almost passable, I can make it work. And like, they seem achievable goals, going from this is nothing at all to this is terrible, is, and at every stage knowing it's terrible is the bit that yeah. I hate. I wonder if that's the difference because you, you uh, both, both you, John, and you, Dave, perform as well as write. I don't perform, and therefore I don't hate writing. I, st- I do hate it a bit, um, but the idea, I'd sort of, if, if the storyline in particular is right, I'd sometimes get a little bit excited before I start to write it. But that's, but that's normally because I've done the hard graft of the, of the story outline and absolutely everything, which I'm okay. sure you've. You know, yeah, I do that you've done, you've done and that's, and that, yeah, and you're right. Actually, that's the hardest bit. That's mm-hmm. even harder than than the right going from yeah. nothing yeah. to a draft is is the all the plotting and what you have to do I beforehand. Yeah, I wouldn't use the word hate so much as kind of you know struck by terror. Yeah, and terror and being too. forced by terror <laughs> to, to actually come. But then, well, um, I think there are. I mean, I, and James is one. I'm I'm not sure if it's about the, being a performer as well or not. But I know that writers seem to brought to to break down into to, to the ones who basically hate what they do and the ones who, uh, I mean, you hear them on those island discs sometimes, someone will say, some author will say at the end, well, my luxury would have to be an endless supply of pens and paper because if I couldn't write, I would die. It's like breathing for me and I'm just thinking, you bastard. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I wish I felt like that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it, uh, it I don't think it, Maybe it's, it's now just a quality. I think there are good writers who can write easily and good writers who write with great difficulty yeah. and yeah. Uh, uh, I just, yeah, I'm unlucky to be... Uh, one of the ones who finds it hard. Well, but yeah. you, you uh, I think James told me this that your your style of writing, which which, I, which sounds quite unusual to me, that you actually write all six episodes kind of almost sort of simultaneously. Is that? Is I that try correct? to until time catches up with me. Yes, yeah. um, I try to plot out the whole series before there is. I mean, they are standalone episodes, but there's always a gentle arc, and things change in in cabin pressure. And also, I like to get the balance of. 
well, in particular the balance of conflicts, I've got these four characters and there's usually a guest star, possibly two guest stars of the Travellers of the Week, as it were. Mm -hmm. And I like to mix up where the primary conflict is, it, uh, whether it's between Martin and Douglas or whether it's Martin and Douglas united against Carolyn or whether it's all of them united against the passenger. Or there's, you know, I'd, I'd like to make sure I've got a good mix of those. And so, yes, I try to plan them all out as much as I can before I start doing any dialogue at all. And uh, occasionally, I'm better at it now. The first series, time just completely caught up with me and I ended up having to write them more or less in order in order to get them ready for the recordings. And God knows I barely made it. Uh, but these days now I know more about how long it takes me to write six and a half hours. I am better at having a good idea of what's going to happen in everything before I start, number one. You've got quite a stellar, stellar cast of uh, guest stars, haven't you? Yes, uh, I'm astonished by the uh, guest stars we've got. Like you were saying earlier about radio, you can get incredible actors that you never thought you'd get to come in because they it's only half a day of their time and they quite like, I think, the experience of just being able to come in, do something and, and leave, do it in front of an audience. If they spent six months on a film, I think you'd think, oh, wow, it can be quite refreshing. So uh, we've got Mark Williams in this series. Uh, we've got Anthony Head in a recurring role. We've got Timothy West. Uh, I mean, imagine. <laughs> uh, and Jeffrey Whitehead is reprising his role as Mr. Burling, which was one of my favourite guest stars from the first series and uh, more besides. Pretty pretty amazing cast that you have there. Um, and um, dare I ask, I know we talked about the joy of writing for radio and anything going to happen with it for telly, possibly? Probably not. It's not... So we put it in a couple of years ago. We It hasn't been turned down. It's not dead in the water, but basically it's not going to happen so long as Comply With Me is still around because they think there's too much of a crossover. I'd say they're quite different shows. There's it's a big, broad sketch show set in an airport. Mine is not so broad and it's set in an airline. But And the fact that the audience simply don't care. They just want a fun Well, show. that's true. But, yeah, I don't think there's going to be two aviation shows at the same time, so we will wait and see what happens. Have you got any uh, advice at all for people who are sitting at home writing their perfect sitcom in their garrets? What, would you, uh, what advice would you give to aspiring sitcom writers? Don't. <laughs> give up now. It's not run for all of us. You just don't want the competition. No. <laughs> but Tom's um, a nicer person than me, so no, he'll probably have something that. useful to say. <laughs> I think I don't think I useful maybe, but not original. I'll just say the same things everyone always says, but they're kind of true. Just just rewrite it ever so many times before you send it in. Make it as good as you possibly can. Don't send it in when you still know there's something wrong in the second half, but you think, oh, but that's by then they'll be so caught, caught up in it. They'll, they'll excuse that, they'll know I'll fix that later. They won't. They'll just go, well, the second half didn't work. They're turning down loads of stuff from writers they already know and like in order to impress them as someone who they don't know and like, although they are looking for new people all the time. You've just got to just got to be make it as good as you possibly can. Mm. Now, you're doing this uh, mm. soapbox. Can you tell us a, a bit about that? Yes, that's enormous fun to do because it basically consists of David Mitchell and I going to a pub and me getting him cross about things, and him being spontaneously and effortlessly funny in that way that he can, that just baffles me, and me trying to write this down, write down as much of it as possible uh, uh, on post-it notes, and then going home and writing it all up in, in as close as I can to his style. And then he tinkers with it again, and goes in and does it. So they are uh, three to five minute monologues that go out every week on, uh, on the web. Okay, so you, you're working with uh, David Mitchell now, and... Uh... Is that, uh, you know, that, that cool? You haven't, um, he's not sort of 
Two timing with Robert Webb is he? No, God, no, no. He is his marriage is strong. His marriage to Robert Webb is out uh, is uh, uh, strong and stable. I'm not even a bit on the side. I'm just someone else he sometimes works with. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Um, I understand that. Um, but uh, you worked on the Family Guy. Is that correct? Yeah, I did. Um, I do not understand why. It was an extraordinary day when I got my agent called me up in the morning to say. Uh, are you free this afternoon? And I said, no, not really. He said, oh, that's a shame because uh, Family Guy want you to record a part. And it turned out I was free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, it makes no sense. I'm not being, it's no false modesty to say, I mean, why on earth of all the, right, so the other, it was a, uh, it was set in Britain, obviously. It was, a, it was one of their reader's letters shows. So it's a, a third of the length of the show and it's a, you know, it's a little eight minute sketch set in Britain. The guest stars uh, were, Chris O'Dowd, Tom Hollander, Ricky Gervais, and me. You know, the old, the old guys back to, the gang back together. Right. I mean, I've no idea where they heard me or why they, I mean, I assume I uh, was brought in to replace someone else who fell out at the last minute, but even then, I don't know why me, but I'm not complaining. Right. Was it a fun experience then? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. I sat in the waiting room with Ricky Gervais and Tom Hollander, and then after a while I went in and I recorded my... Three lines, uh, seven times each, and then I shouted, "You wanker!" at Prince Charles for about twelve, fifteen takes. And, that was just, uh, that was just I was a normal day. Though, that it? was just because I was cross with Prince Charles. Yeah, yeah they tried right. to get me to stop, but I, you know, I thought the American audience needed to hear how I felt about him. Wow. Well, uh, respect then. That's well, and now I'm just worried that they'll cut that bit after having told everyone all about it. But, when's, so, it uh, when's it? When's it? I don't be? know. Oh, right. It'll be in the next series, whenever that is. It can't be too long, because it was all about the royal wedding, so... Yeah, it's got to happen fairly soon. Um, and um, so, now I understand as well that you are actually making a TV pilot that isn't Cabin Crusher, but is it, are you allowed to yeah. tell us anything about it? I'm allowed it? to tell you some things about it. I'm not allowed to tell you uh, who the stars are, stroke might be, because that's not quite finalised, but it is a non-broadcast pilot... Uh, we're making this summer. It's about a uh, an elderly gay couple. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, who knows? Most of these things, as you well know, come to nothing. The old gays. The old, the old gays, indeed. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> very nice. Oh well, that's uh, yes. That does indeed sound very promising. And what's it? Is it for BBC One? If it happens, it's for BBC One. Yeah. BBC One. Oh, mm. That's interesting. That's an interesting direction. But you know how many slips there are twixt cap and lip. Yes. <laughs> making sure the BBC One. The very notion, the idea that the BBC One are making—is it an audience sitcom as well? Uh, or, I don't think that's finalised. I suspect no. not. Right. Okay. But uh, BBC One making a sitcom about an old gay couple. I can, I can see. The green pens for the Daily Mail writers coming out now, even as we speak. Uh, coming out being the wrong phrase there. Uh, well, it's basically just a jolly marriage sitcom in which yeah. the, the married couple happen to be male. It's not a sitcom about being gay, about the gay experience. I'm, I'm not gay myself, so you I couldn't say write that. that. You say uh, that. <laughs> I'd be interested to see if the Daily Mail are curious about it. I... I I'd be a bit surprised. I think even they acknowledge that uh, homosexuality exists, but uh, who knows? Well, we shall see. We'll find out. Hopefully, we'll, well find we out. probably won't find <laughs> out, but you never know. We might. Yeah. And I notice, and, and uh, I know you've got your sketch show uh, mm. coming up in in the uh, autumn. And um, at, at the moment, I see it's called my still untitled sketch show, which I think is a fantastic name for a <laughs> sketch show. Yes, um, um, John Fillmore's still untitled sketch show. No, it won't, it won't be called that. I don't know what it will be called. The difficulty is finding something that isn't 
doesn't sound smug because um, I think egotistically my name is probably going to be in it some way, either my full name or my surname. And as soon as you put your name in it, almost everything you can think of sounds smug. We did a pilot a couple of years ago called John Finnamore, apparently, which I quite like as a title, but it's got that slight radio force. Not John Finnamore, apparently. You know, John Finnamore and so on. John Finnamore and company, they all sound a bit... <laughs> and I just can't... I mean, short of the John Finnamore show, which... Uh, sounds not smug but bombastic like who do I think I am uh, you know Morecambe Wise I I just don't know how to do it any suggestions uh, gratefully well, received actually from you, seriously from uh, anyone who's listening to this okay. podcast I don't know if there's any way you can put them but any yes. title you can think of for a Radio 4 sketch show involving the words John Finnamore or Finnamore that doesn't sound unbearably smug would be, would be oh, genuinely welcome I think we should offer a fabulous BCG yes. DVD prize forums and uh, yeah. I mean, if uh, anyone comes up with a chosen name I'm sure we could dig out a few DVDs or something to send them. Yeah, no, no. So there you go, you heard it first. <laughs> you, BCG listener, have the chance to name John Finnemore's as yet unnamed sketch show. Mm. So uh, I'm sure we'll, we, we can leave. Which will be going out in September, it's four episodes, it's going out on Sundays in a new slot, a uh, new comedy slot that the new controller oh, of Radio right. 4 has. Uh, created so um, I hope that will be because we were talking about eleven thirty versus six thirty mm-hmm. uh, before. I don't Sunday. I suppose has the potential to be quite a big deal. Like, but on the other hand, no one knows it exists yet. So what time is the slot? I'm not quite sure. I think it's sort of tea time-ish, but I don't right. know for certain. Okay. Um, and it's yeah, it's four half hours. It's a absolute straightforward old-fashioned sitcom. It's the funniest things I can think of Sketching. in a row for half an hour, show, yeah. and then it stops. And uh, there's no theme, and there's no recurring characters, uh, except within the episode there might be a runner, but there's no nothing stripped along the, the four. Uh, it's an absolute old-fashioned Victoria Wood, Brian Laurie stuff. Not as good as either of those, I'm sure, but it's in that mould. You're so self-effacing, John. Well, I think if you're comparing yourself to Victoria Wood and Brian Laurie, you kind of have to say. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not going to be like as good as that. Well, you never know. But uh, I'm interested in the process actually of uh, that, that, that you're creating the show, and I gather you're, you're doing sort of you're trying out sketches before uh, audiences. Yes, yeah, so this time I'm doing tryouts of material uh, every two weeks at the Albany in Great Portland Street. The next one is on the 16th of July, and the one after that is the 30th of July, eight o'clock, six pounds. Do please come along if you're free. Um, and that gives me a great chance to try out a whole new hour of stuff in front of an audience and see what works, what needs rewriting, what needs to be cut. And uh, it's also fun. I just I haven't performed sketches in front of an audience for a while, and uh, it reminds me that that's what I really liked about it. You know, actually doing the stuff in front of an audience. You're going to get a lackey to do your writing for you, I can see now. No, you? no, I'm too much of a control freak for that. So I'm writing the whole thing. There's no other writers on the show. Even though you hate writing, well, I I love being a writer. I like having written stuff, and I like you know I'm really pleased with my job. It's what I want to be doing. It's just unfortunate that I don't enjoy the process of doing it. But then, how many people do enjoy the process of doing their job? Who who have you got in your cast? I assume you have a sort of team of actors at the uh, yeah, my friends basically. I mean, my my friends who do this professionally. Right. Uh, So yeah, uh, and we have different people. In different shows so far, we've had Carrie Quinlan, Margaret Capon Smith, Simon Kane, Gus Brown, Dan Tetzel. Am I forgetting anyone? Oh, Kevin Baker. Marvellous. Jolly good. Good. That's a great cast you've got. And I gather today you're off very exciting. Your first ever 
a guest slot on a panel show, is that right? Yeah, um, which I'm terrified about. I've never done that before. Um, I've do, I do the Now Show quite a lot. I'm doing that this week as well. Um, but with that, of course, I, I, can, I write a piece, and I know how to do that. What I don't know how to do is be spontaneously funny around the table. So it could be very embarrassing, but I'm hoping the worst that will happen is I'll just be silent and I won't get in the edit much. Talk to David Mitchell. He can probably. Well, I do talk to David Mitchell, and that's a problem because he's so good at it. It's you know, in my opinion, it just comes so naturally to him, and he's both funny off the cuff, but he's also got genuine opinions off the cuff, as it were. He's thought about most of the things that come up, and he's able to. I'm thinking of um, Ten O'clock Live now, which I've worked with him on a bit as well, and he was so good in the interviews and the round tables on that because you know he cares about this stuff and he knows what he thinks, and uh, I. Yeah, I don't think... Well, we'll see. It's called Dilemma. It's with uh, Sue Perkins. It's a new panel show. I think it's also going out in September or October. And on one of the episodes, you you may hear me, or I may be announced at the beginning and end, but otherwise be quiet while Alan Cochran is very funny. Is this on Radio 4? Yeah. So you are indeed going to be across the airwaves, really, for months to come on Radio 4. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing quite a lot on that this year. Good. Well, we're, we're delighted to have had you here to tell us all about it, John. It's been a pleasure. Don't forget Cabin Pressure, 11.30 on Friday mornings. Uh, there's still five episodes to go of Series 3, so if you missed the first one, you can catch it on iPlayer. And it's a great show. I highly recommend it. In two weeks' time, we'll be talking to the producers of the sitcom Mission. But uh, until then, we'll say goodbye from John Cinemore. Goodbye. And goodbye from Aaron. <laughs>